0: John, I have a, an important question for you. I've got a question
1: for you first. Oh, go for it. Is she saying, I'm bad, I'm bad, you know I'm really bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, really, really bad?
0: I'm going to be honest, my knowledge of Korean is very, very poor, so it's possible, certainly, but I, mean, I, it's I have just no a cover, idea.
1: It's a cover song, and you fell for it.
0: Unbelievable. Here's what I wanted to ask <laughs> you is, do you believe... I don't believe that I have ESP. I don't believe that I have a deep insight into the very fabric of the universe, but every once in a while, a thing happens that you can't really explain. You're not sure why you did it, but it worked out for the best. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. All right. So I work at a record store part-time, and the other day, last time I was there, not last time, time before, but I was there, and I walked down the new release wall, and most of it clicks and buzzes. I have no idea what's happening in today's popular music. <laughs> you think I might, but I honestly don't. And I saw this album right there, and for whatever reason, it spoke to me, and no reason it didn't look that different from all the other albums, but for whatever reason, I stopped and pulled it off the wall, and I flipped it over, and it was on a particular record label that I really love called Ninja Tune, and I thought, huh, and I'm like, well, new albums are expensive. It was thirty bucks, and I'm like, I don't know anything about her uh, other than she, uh, you know, she's a sort of I, I described her nature as she has a detached allure, and I picked hmm. it up, and I'm like, huh. Not the kind of thing I would normally gravitate towards, but Ninja Tune is good, and I do like sort of that down-tempo, chill-out room, EDM vibe, and... I flipped it over, it was on Ninja Tune, I'm like, 30 bucks, and I did it anyway. Without listening to it, without knowing a single thing about her, I went up to the front and bought the record for myself. Now, granted, getting an employee discount makes that kind of move a little simpler, but it's not that big a discount. It was still an expensive shot in the dark for not knowing anything about it, and I'm in love, man. Not with her, but with the fact that I just found one of the best records I've heard in 2021.
1: That can be very risky. It oh, it's super very, risky. very, very risky buying an album like that because I've gotten burned many times. So thinking, have I. This, this looks good. Oh, no, working oh, at a record no, store, not.
0: even when it's $4, I'm like, well, that cover is cool enough to buy this. You get home and you're like, ooh, that was a waste of about $3.75. Yeah. My
1: other question for you is, if I were to do a net sheet on your record store gig, would you be in the positive or in the
0: negative for all the albums that you purchase. I would like to refer to my time at Mill City Sound as a zero-sum game. <laughs> yes. I, I can't I can't say either way, one way or the other, but there's just so many good records and I'm a freak for them. Anyway, her name is Park High jin H-Y-E-J-I-N. And there's some other Park High Jins out there, like a former professional basketball player and a, a K-pop male superstar. Her name is Park High jin, and she is brilliant. And I got, I got home, I put it on, I'm like, Man, I wish I still smoked weed, because holy crap, it's (laughs) one of the coolest down-tempo records I've ever heard. Anyway, where are my manners? I'm Brian Oak. That is Sean Bernard. It is the Brian Oak Show podcast, episode 195, being recorded right here in the Smart Start MN studio in South Minneapolis on what might possibly be the most beautiful autumn day I can honestly remember openly, but my memory is also trash. It's 54 degrees outside. There's not one cloud in the sky. Beautiful, sunny, cool, crisp. We're going to see a high of like 56 today. It's like heaven. It's like angels kissing you. With a feels like
1: of 60 and no
0: end. I love it. It's perfect out there right now. Now, it will be warmer over the weekend, and I know many people will be happy to hear about that. Tons of sunshine into the 60s, maybe nudging 70 by early next week, but that shit will not last like nothing good ever does. Um, Before we get to today's guest, who I'm very excited about, I would like to mention that Smart Start MN, who we mentioned, are the title sponsors of our studio. They signed on board before we did a single episode, and here we are almost 200 episodes later and they're still very much on board with what we do here which is why we like to tell you about them again it's weird to have your main sponsor be someone you hope no one ever has to call Mm -hmm. but the world doesn't work like that Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company if you get a DUI someone you know love are associated with related to whatever Smart Start was there at the birth of the state's ignition interlock system they helped design it with legislators and judges they have technology that will get you back in your car driving, even if you have lost your license, which you're going to do, even if you're not found guilty of a DUI, they're good people. They love music. They've been on board with this from day one, and we, we like them. We just, again, I hope you never have to call them, but if you do, don't go with imitators or carpetbaggers. Call our friends over at Smart Start.
1: Yeah, it's super affordable already compared to not being able to drive and get to your job, etc. But if you go to SmartStartMN.com slash The Brian Oak Show, you'll get 20% off the installation. Of the ignition interlock.
0: You know what? And you often get short shrift. You usually don't get a mention until the very end of the show. Why don't we take care of the Sean Bernard portion of the show? Let's do it. Right now. Okay. So, Sean, in addition to being my business partner, producer of the show, is also a realtor for Eliza Realty. What's that? Your counselor. Not really. Little, I gotta admit, no, your advice is not great. I'm gonna be honest. That's true. That's yeah. true. No, I, well,
1: not all counselors are, are good at it. They're C students and D students.
0: But what I don't want <laughs> is for people to think that that quality of counseling also translates to the quality of realty that you practice. Because I know that you're better at it than that, and A you're plus, also Harvard you're, Mensa. Yeah, exactly, Mensa. <laughs>
1: Mensa Realty. (laughs) You
0: got it. Or Mouth Breather. Somewhere somewhere in between. Anyway, Sean is a realtor by trade and does a good job and things are, you know, it's a season of change and people start to think about change. A, we're getting back out there. B, the market is suddenly not quite as freakish as it has been, but things have got to be going okay, yeah?
1: They are. It's uh, becoming a little bit more balanced uh, and, you know, there's not as many multiple offer situations, that sort of thing. The interest rates are still really low that might be changing uh, by next year because at some point it has to change the interest rates are like 2.75 percent right now right my first home that i bought in 98 was 6.8 percent with probably not the greatest credit in the world but uh still a great time to buy and sell and i'm still doing what i've been doing all year if you buy or sell with me we donate a portion of of that sale to a local musician or artist uh, it could be a whole band, could be uh, an artist. But you get to choose unless you say to yourself, I have no idea who I'm going to pick from. Trust me, I have plenty of area musicians that love a donation uh, from myself, Sean Bernard at Edina Realty.
0: So you're telling me sculptors could be in the in the running, painters could be in the running, or just musicians?
1: The only thing I'll say is I can't
0: stand <clears throat> sculptors. What do you mean? I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> I'm you, I'm kidding. <laughs> Why would anybody just have? I was a, just gonna say. Well, I don't know. You're guys. not a regular person. <laughs> That's I was true. gonna That's say,
0: <laughs> if artists are in the running, I mean, do you consider what I do for a living art, Sean? Next question. Anyway, today's guest, yeah, I'm very excited to have. I, I was really honored last week to have John Fields on the show. Um, I feel like John Fields is someone I should have met 20 years ago, but then he went to L.A. and became Mr. Big Shot. And But he came back, and it turns out he's an everyday person like everyone else you know. And today's guest, I mean originally came to sort of the zenith of fame or a zenith of fame, playing with Prince throughout the 1990s as part of the new power generation. But since that time, has been performing, recording, and writing alongside the likes of Johnny Lang, Nick Jonas, Mavis Staples, Art Garfunkel, Greasy Meal, an important contribution there, also providing music to soundtracks from Spike Lee, Robert Altman, Mark Forrester. He's done award-winning commercials, and he's also toured with incredible number of artists, I don't know, Backstreet Boys, Ziggy Marley, David Sylvian, Miley Cyrus, <laughs> Daniel Powder, Mandy Moore. This is exciting to me because I love talking to and working with professionals. Before we check in today, um, we are going to hear one more band that he's toured with, which when I read his resume, his bio, whatever you want to call it, kind of blew my mind because this is an all-time favorite band of mine. And so this will become part of of the conversation. It's absolutely going to. Tommy Barbarella is going to be our guest coming up just ahead. But first, we're going to hear a little music from one of my all-time favorites, Love and Rockets, on The Brian Oak Show.
2: be again
0: Those who are not familiar with Love and Rock, it's glorious legacy. Um, David J., Daniel Ash, Kevin Haskins, they were three quarters of the band Bauhaus before Peter Murphy decided he was a little too big for his own dark, gothic, tightly fitting britches and moved on to a solo career, which is a bummer. Now, they have gotten together a few times over the years, but as much as I lamented the loss of Bauhaus, I absolutely celebrated Love and Rockets. They were part of the soundtrack for me and my dark, spooky emo-ness back in the 1980s into the 1990s. I'm a huge fan, and it turns out today's guest at some point had some collaboration with them, at <laughs> least, well, he, he's given me the look like maybe. Uh, Tommy Barbarilla, hello, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, very nice to have you on here. There's a ton of stuff I want to talk about, but before we get too far away from it, why is Love and Rockets in your bio?
3: Um, well, I don't want to disappoint you too much since now I know you're such a fan, but... That's okay. So, Greasy Meal was in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Playing some shows, and um, buddy of mine i played it in a band with in high school, went to Berkeley. His buddy was engineering the Love and Rockets session. You know, mm-hmm. they, And they heard I was in town, and they freaked out and wanted me to play on the record, so I went and did the session. Okay. I don't remember the
0: song. Um, (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) So you have a credit on a Love and Rockets song, and we don't know what song it is.
3: Yeah, but I uh, (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember.
0: That was a long time ago. Still getting that mailbox money from Love and Rockets, though, huh? I don't think so. No, probably not.
3: (laughs) But I'll never forget. I I walked in the studio, and they were just all staring at me like I felt like
0: I've never felt like such a celebrity. Which, and why do you think? I mean, like, what year are we talking about here?
3: This would have been ninety-seven, probably okay. 96, 97. I mean, so at this, this point, you're, probably
0: their last, maybe their,
3: one of their last records.
0: You're, I mean, at this point, though, you're well established as a member of the New Power Generation, right? Is that why they were looking at you like that, or why were they looking at you like that? Yeah, I, I guess so.
3: Um, you know, I wore a lot of eyeliner. Yeah, uh, you know, I was very adjacent. I, I had a look similar, I guess, to them. <clears throat> I don't know. They. But they uh they thought I was really cool and uh, right. I remember playing some wah wah clavinet on something. Okay. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> you know, they, they wanted me to be funky, of course. Yeah. Yeah, well, so I brought you, a funk element to You've some done track. no shortage
0: of funk element. I mean, you know, you've done so much music and you worked with so many different people. John Fields spoke screamingly high of you when he was the guest on the most recent episode of the podcast, episode one ninety four I think anybody who's at all familiar with your career knows that you've worked with a wide variety of people and can do a great number of things. But obviously, being so closely associated with Prince throughout the 90s is going to be a defining element. It's going to be hard for people to get away from that, right? But before we dive into that, because I do want to, I do have a few questions about that era and what that was like and what it's meant ever since then. First, I would like to know more about Tommy Barbarella. First of all, where are you from? St. Paul. Born and raised St. Paul, Minnesota. Yep,
3: I went to Hill Murray High School. Class Did you of 80. Mm, the hard knocks whatever. of Hill Murray High yeah. School? Yeah. Well,
0: and see, I <laughs> I grew up in Coon Rapids. So when every time um, so many guests on this show have been from St. Paul, right, and they're always like Henry or whatever the different yeah. schools Harding. are. Harding, there we go. My sisters went to Harding, yeah. I don't know. know,
1: Oh, the special boy got to go to the private school, but the sisters went
3: to Harding. No, my sister got transferred to uh, (laughs) Hill Murray in her senior year. there we go. There it is. Okay, (laughs) a little tea getting spilled on the Bride Oak Show. Yeah, they weren't going to... Leave anything to chance with me. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, yeah, no.
0: Yeah, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. All right, so you grew up in St. Paul. At what point when you're growing up, obviously we all grew up and we like to listen to music, snapping your fingers to the radio, digging through your parents' record collections. Maybe your parents are deep into music. Where did you find music? How how do you, what, the first time you remember actually like, I'm in love, this is my thing.
3: Yeah, so in my family, um, I, I don't come from a musical family, mm-hmm. literally. I, I mean, my brother, does a little bit, but- You know, old school family, my dad was World War II, you know, I'm the youngest of six. So we all had to take two years of piano lessons. That was kind of
0: the rule in the house. And before we move beyond that, so some people I know view piano lessons like living in the bottom of a well, right? They hate it. Every time you've got to do it, it's actual torture and you don't have any desire and there's no joy. Even once you start to get good at it, it can still be like a grind. You'd rather be doing anything else. But other people take to it right away. Where on that spectrum are you?
3: I think it was a couple of years in, um, you know, I had my beginning piano teacher and progressed. It got to a point where um, she said, I can't teach you anymore. No, I'm going to send you to, to someone else. Uh, so you had an aptitude for it, clearly. Yeah. I remember one time she said, I got to a point, you know, and it's like you did your lessons. Then you always had your fun pop tunes you could play. <laughs> and it was like music box dancer, and yeah. like Barry Manilow stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just remember she said, you have the touch. And it it struck me, and I was like, I think mean that means I'm good. And I started, <laughs> I kind of started knowing that, you know, because I, I enjoyed playing the pop tunes, and uh, and then she sent me to a classical teacher, hardcore nun, who was super strict, um, but like the best teacher. And I was became her star, you know, classical. Piano guy who did the contests and stuff.
0: So you're learning classical. You're working for a nun. I mean, all three of us grew up Catholic, very <laughs> Catholic in this room right here. So we all understand where Sorry. we're coming from. No, no. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, again, very Catholic of you to apologize for that, um, <laughs> but not necessary. Um, but I mean, so when you start doing that, I mean, uh, you're you're largely playing at mass. You're largely playing in certain contests. No, you're playing all over the place. uh They wouldn't let me play at church. Why?
3: Too funky. I, did, I, did, I did wild well, child I played I played once in um this is like seventh grade I'm like I wanted to it's like it's like well I can do this started breaking out the Ohio players or what did you do I, <laughs> I don't know, know what there. I did but a sister whoever was v- very displeased with me and um
0: maybe by the touch they meant you had the devil's touch
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think she thought so so it was yeah. like she said nope you that was I don't know what she said. You were being very disrespectful to the Lord. You were showing, really? you were showing off. How old were you? Like seventh grade. <laughs> Wild. And it just terrified me, of course. Yeah. yeah.
0: And um, But also that was your first taste of danger in rock and roll, wasn't
3: it? <laughs> kind of like I'm doing something right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, fast forward many years, it's like I was still, I'd get this thing. If I, you know, I'd play weddings and stuff later yeah. in college. and um, But I would get so nervous playing Anything in a church wedding or something, and I would be shaking because because you'd already ticked the Lord off once, and you better me. you better fly right. It took a long time for me to get over that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Talk about Catholic guilt.
0: But that, I mean, well, that but was, that's heavy, man. You're in seventh grade. It's heavy, and, and it was like, and this and was nuns, my nuns gift. Nuns are not a joke, yeah. right? Oh my gosh. And, and so I mean, but like, so this is your gift, and you have been so offensive to the Lord that you're no longer allowed <laughs> to play in church. Nope. Oh. wild i mean like that's a, that's a profound moment though yeah. but you obviously stuck with music and you continued to do it mm-hmm. you go to college where do you go to school yeah
3: well you know and th- through high school I, I started studying jazz i did uh, mm-hmm. jazz lessons as well uh, i went to college for one year at uh, st john's university up there got in a band that summer after that year what was that
0: band called z I love it. See, I always I have to ask people about their early you musical it, careers no. because the names are always just yeah. excruciating yeah. and Zebop is no different. I apologize. I hope mm-hmm. you don't take that offensively, but um, you know, you 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 moved on to different names and better names throughout your well, career. There's been a lot of bad names. I, <laughs> I, I, I think Greasy Meal was a great name either. Yeah, really. well, I don't know, but I mean Greasy Meal's got that legacy. Yeah. I couldn't name a Zebop tune if I had to right now. No.
3: Well, that was named after a Santana album. Oh, right.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, and again, a fine name. Okay, yeah, then. I, not, I'm not, not trying I'm to disrespect you. Santana, but when I think about a bunch of young college kids or high school kids in a band and they've called themselves Zebop. so did this band imagine itself as funky, creative, exploring the mystical altruism of jazz like a Santana record, or why Why Zebop? I don't know.
3: I, it was an existing <laughs> band, and I auditioned for it. And, and you with, got in. Singer. So it was like three of us who were younger guys, and then uh, some of the other guys who started the band were older, Um but it was cool it was like we had uh there was a club called felties in butler square uh that was like the coolest club in town this is like 85 um you know classy club um but all the it was the it was before bunkers it was like where the touring acts would oh. go to sit in and oh really um felties 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 right, Feldman, you it was uh what's in there now It's like a champs or something that corner slot okay it was the coolest club and the you know it was just a mixed clientele it was like um we had a, we had the house gig there for a while and uh it was awesome it was like you know people would drop in and this was the mid 80s in minneapolis post purple rain it was exploding the music scene was crazy it was mm-hmm. so fun
0: well, before we talk about the jump from there to becoming a central figure in the new power generation, I don't like to get too far into the show without hearing a song. So can we play your first selection today? You've gone with the Ramsey Lewis trio. And as I tell every single guest who comes onto this show, I don't care what you play. I want it to matter to you. Why does this trio and this song matter to you?
3: That's, that recording of that song, um, the live version, it's, every time I hear it, it makes me feel good. And musically it's kind of like, that's me. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's soulful. It's funky. Um, you know, the crowd response in it, it's just like, and it sounds like the perfect gig. Like, God, I wish I was in that club. That was like the best feeling. Um, it's one of my favorite recordings of all time.
0: Ramsey Lewis trio on the Brian Oak show. Tommy Barbarella is our guest. Tommy, what, would you say that Ramsey Lewis also has the touch? Oh, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think that's fair. Uh, coming from a guy, me who loves music, but doesn't have maybe a super deep technical appreciation, right? Music is lost on me. I know when I hear a funk song, I know when I hear a classical song, I know when I hear a rock song or a new wave song, at some point funk becomes part of, of your repertoire, right? It, it begins to deeply inform who you are and the kind of music you will play. Not limit you, but inform you. For someone who really is genuinely ignorant of some of the finer points, the more esoteric nature of certain types styles of music, what makes something funky? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's one of those things where I don't know what it is, but I know it when I hear it. But I feel like, I mean, is it syncopation? Is it hitting the, the 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 hitting the right note at the right time? What makes something funky? That's a great question, and um, and not an easy answer. I don't think you know. so. That's why I'm asking you because you're a pro. You're an expert. You've been doing this your whole life.
3: Well, I think it's a lot easier to know when something's
0: not funky. Yeah. You
1: know? <laughs> uh, yes, it is. I'm sure. It's like, oh, that didn't hit.
0: Well, I mean, so you, you grew up playing classical, right? I mean, you grew up in that environment and then you start playing some jazz stuff as you get older. At some point, funk becomes part of what you do. Before we dive into your time with Prince and the new power generation, what, what was that transitional period like? You're in this high school band. I mean, like, what, what is the connective tissue? What other bands are in there? What sort of things are you exploring before you are suddenly swept up in Prince's universe?
3: So, yeah, so that first band I was in, Minneapolis, my first taste of gigging and, you know, meeting other musicians, um, it, it was kind of, kind of a fusion band. I mean, we had vocals, um, I'm trying to think of like, you know, at the time it was like Al Dro, that kind of a thing mm. where it was very musical. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like there's, when I met John Fields, I knew everyone else in Greasy, but John, he was the one I didn't know at the time. Um. You know, there's, the 80s music scene in Minneapolis was amazing, but it was kind of two camps. It was like the Prince funk camp, and then you had all the, all the great rock stuff. Mm-hmm. I was always in the other, the, the funk camp, I, I guess mainly because I play keyboards, you know, I don't play guitar. So there's more keyboard stuff in the funk <laughs> than the funk. So. <laughs> okay,
0: so that's fine. So give me a little timeline. Like, what are we doing? Who do you first meet? Are you in Greasy Meal before you're in New Power Generation?
3: No. So, uh, you know, I'm in that band um, and I, you know, I quit that band for some big project that didn't happen. Got some other bands. Um, I put together a band on Lake Minnetonka uh, one summer when uh, the club was Houdini's out in Excelsior. And it was a house gig. It was like, you know, Monday through Saturday or whatever. um, That's a lot. I mean, so you're a full time musician, right? right? And a full time student. Wow. Okay. Terrible student. I I was going to say, well, (laughs) I I mean, one's got to give, right? You can't be brilliant at both. Yeah. I was, I, I stumbled my way through college, but again, the Catholic guilt. Uh, I, you got there. I got my degree, but it (laughs) was, I got my degree not till I was, had the Prince gig. Right. Independent study, but I, I I made it through. I got a degree in journalism. Um, but, yeah, so I'm in, the, I'm in this band. Uh, Geraldine Steele was one of the singers in the band. She invited me to come play with her family, and they had started playing
0: the Fine Line. Uh, fine Line was new at the time. And-, and the Fine Line at that time, you know, for, for Minneapolis fans and people who are familiar with the Twin Cities, the Fine Line, when it first started, not that it doesn't go back there occasionally, but the Fine Line was a little more like the Dakota back then, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was a little more refined, let's say, in terms right. of its bookings.
3: Yeah, yep. And, uh... So Sonny Thompson and I joined that band at the same time. Um, you know, everyone in that band ended up touring with people like Jody Watley. Um, um, so we would play there once a month. Um, Prince, having grown up with Sonny, heard Sonny was doing that. So he would come down with Kim Bassinger. They'd sit up there in the balcony and, and watch. And, um, <laughs> Crazy. And people would start saying, you know, he's watching. He's got his eye on it. He likes your look. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> um but that's how, that's how that, that happened. Um, but even before I was in his band, you know, I was um, Mark. He did an album on Margaret Cox, singer with uh, Mambo's Combo, mm-hmm. phenomenal
1: Great. singer, <laughs>
3: amazing. Uh, did a record on her. She was going to open part of the tour, 1990, a European portion of the tour. In um, the backing band, uh, Steve Cherowan, the keyboard player, decided he didn't want to do it. Tommy, can you come out to Paisley? To, we're rehearsing for this, this tour. And I'm like, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'll be there. You know, so I'm like 23, 22, 23 at the time. Wild. And uh, the last minute he, I think we played one show, at like Civic Center. <laughs> 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 nice <laughs> opening warm gig. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. And then he decided, no, he, he didn't want her to do it. So we became the backing band for May the Staples. And that's how we ended up playing with Mavis. We did. Uh, that was my first time to Europe. You know, opening all the Wembley shows for him.
0: Now this is wild. So again, I, and I don't want to slow play it too much because we only have so much time. But you're a young musician. You're accomplished. You are a seasoned vet already at this point. You've been playing a ton, right? But then suddenly you're at Wembley and you're in the opening again. With even if we take Prince out of the equation, having met Mavis Staples a couple times myself, I mean. You're working with royalty. You're working with a living legend. Mm-hmm. Was there ever, I mean, did it just always seem like business as usual? Were you ever sitting there all of a sudden in awe of the fact that I'm at Wembley playing with Mavis Staples?
3: Yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a trip, but, you know, in that camp, it's like, I don't know. I was just hanging on for dear life. Yeah. And, you know, I was. White knuckling. Yeah, I was, I was the youngest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was. You know, that was my first taste of it. Then we, we come back from that, and then you know, I went back to playing with the Steels or whatever. It was like, that was summer. I get a call in December. Um, actually, no, I mean, even before that. So Prince pulled us out of uh, rehearsal, one of these rehearsals in the summer to, uh, like, Tommy, Sonny, Michael, can you come help us with a song? Help me, with, help me finish off a couple of songs. So, we, you know, and I had just met him. So we go into Studio B. He shows us the song. We help. We we record it. We like kind of figure out some transitions, some parts. He's like, just play what you feel, you know.
0: And is Pais- Paisley Park's a thing at this point, right? You're at Paisley Park, or yeah, is this, not yet there? Yeah, this is 1990. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. All right, or
3: 8990. Sure. And um, the first song we recorded was Diamonds and Pearls. Wild. And all my little parts that I played that day, they're on the record.
0: So I. Again, and I I don't want to overstate this part of it because I'm here to talk to you. But there's so much Prince adjacency, and you know, you know how people are about Prince to this day. And you would probably know better than anyone because you were right there for so long. Um, Was it? I mean, I, I I know that he had a sweet and gentle side. I know he had an intimidating and sort of commandeering side from all the things I've heard, but I never met the man, right? I, I wasn't there. For you as a young person who, for the first time, is in the studio with him looking you right in the eye and you're playing your parts, intimidating, exhilarating, exasperating. How did it feel? Studio Prince is very different than rehearsal prints. How so? Uh, studio,
3: he, he's, you're creating with him and he wants your input, which you know, makes you feel really good, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he, he takes what he wants. He doesn't use, you know, if he doesn't like it, but, uh, you know, nevertheless, I was still pretty nervous. And then, so later that same night after bunkers, whatever, after the gig, Michael, I've forgotten about this. Michael plan reminded me that he called us back out there to record again. And this was the starting of the start of new power generation. He was putting a band together, but we didn't know it. (laughs) We were just, recording and um we recorded Live for Love in in which he has me play a solo and he you know says my name in the song <laughs> which became a thing, I guess. Right. I, um Sheila E was sitting in the booth with him that night, which also made me quite nervous. I'll bet. I, I thought she was really pretty. Is she, <laughs> she is stunning. Yeah. And um but yeah, so yeah, and then fast forward to December, I get a call from his secretary asking if I'm available to play some shows with him at Rock in Rio um,
0: in a few weeks. <laughs> Which, for people who don't know, Rock in Rio is a massive international music festival. It's crazy. I mean, so... For again, for people who weren't there now, again, I'm not intimate with the situation. I wasn't involved in it. But I do remember since I fell in love with Prince and the Revolution, the revolution is sort of when he first ascended to international prominence. Right. And then because he's an artist and one to do what he is want to do, not unlike many other great and important artists before him sort of does away with his band, which I think a lot of people, they find that sort of thing shocking. You know, it makes me think of like when David Bowie got rid of the people who basically comprised the spiders from Mars, people were stuck. How could you possibly do this? What, what, What are you thinking? But he's Prince, right? And he just follows his muse and clearly to great effect. And he starts to put together a new band. At what point did you realize for certain that you were part of Prince's new band?
3: you know with everything with him it's 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 very uncertain and you don't ask questions you know it was just uh, it's everything shrouded in mystery and that was part of the intrigue and it was part of the excitement and when you're young it's like this is awesome i don't care what's going on but i'm (laughs) here i'm part of it you know um it, it was all very mysterious um i mean that was the official i start rehearsing with the band and we do this but uh you know, the name change, he gave me the name Tommy
0: Barbarella. Which I heard about, but I didn't want to be the one to out it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, he, he basically, he's Prince, and he is not unlike a, another, again, great many artists, they're sort of crafting a reality and a nature of what they're doing and how they want to express themselves and who they surround themselves with is part of that. You don't even have to tell me what your actual last name is, but he invented, Bar- and I'm assuming based on the movie Barbarella?
3: Yeah, he was really into that movie at the time. <laughs> okay. He was into that, and I think Godfather 2 had just come out okay. uh, around that time. so And that was like the whole fashion style thing we were going yeah. for. So it was like the gangster suits and the fur all over the keyboard. Oh, yeah, stuff. oh, yeah.
0: How yeah. did you feel about being like, I mean, I know Prince is in charge, right? This is his show, and you're young, and you're like, cool, let's do this thing. But he's like, no, your name's no longer Tommy X, you're Tommy Barbarella.
3: Yeah, well, that, it wasn't up for discussion. Okay, I mean, I, but but did you feel all right with it? It, it? Yeah, it was hard. I mean, my first of all, my mom saw a picture in the paper. It was me, Prince, and uh, Tony Mosley, mm-hmm. and she's called me. She's like, uh, "There's a picture in the paper. It looks like you, but it's not your name." <laughs> <And> I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah," <laughs> I'm like, "I guess we're doing this." Um, because there were there was talk about it. Like, he wants to change your name. Are you? A, I don't know. Um and then I remember going to the rehearsal room one day and he had the liner notes for the for the record up taped up on the the door. Mm-hmm. And that's where it said Tommy Barbarella. And it was the first time I actually saw it, I think, and uh it said keyboards, purple axe, and sex symbol. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and it was like <laughs> he put that on the credits in uh. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was just as if the gig wasn't hard enough. Right. You know, and I immediately, it's like, I know, it's like, oh, my God, this is going to, f- I'm going to have to wear this the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, I can't undo that.
0: Well, you still go by Tommy Barbarella professionally do. now, don't you? Yep. yep. What, what does it say on your checks? Does it say Tommy Barbarella? Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. You have to tell me what it says on your checks. I just wonder. I mean, like, did you did you have to did you have to get it? Uh, I mean, like, you know, on your mortgage or whatever. I mean, yeah. is it legally I never, changed? I never legally changed. Okay, all right.
3: They they asked if I wanted to and um, offered to pay for whatever, and I I said no. Right, but I I figured well I can use it as my prof- professional name. And there's no, and lots and lots of
0: people have. Yeah,
3: and um, I, I don't know. Maybe still like I didn't want to do that to my family. I, I don't know. I get it. No, so no. I, I don't know. But I, I, it was never a question. It's like, well, that's what I'll do. Yeah. And, um, and then it was never a question to stop using. It. It's like, no, it'd be stupid not to. It's like, that's,
1: and I like it. When that chapter of your life came to a close, I'm sure that one, the pressure valve was probably released in a lot of ways. But the other question for you is, do you, do you love collaborating more than you like? writing your own music and doing your own thing. What, what do you prefer or is there a preference? Uh, um,
3: I, I like collaborating. I think I'm a good collaborator. I think that's how I lasted the years I did with Prince. It's like, you know, um, and I think music is collaboration. It's mm-hmm. like that in its truest sense, it's, it's a communal experience. Um, which is why this generation of music made on laptops yeah. and everyone's by themselves. It's, it's lost. A lot of it's mm-hmm. soul um, for that reason to me.
0: When we talk about that kind of collaboration, when you talk about, I mean, I'm sure there are times it was exuberant and you got to see the whole world, but it was also a pressure cooker working with Prince. Were there ever times, because you were, New Power Generation existed as an official unit for what, a little over a decade, 12, 13 years, something like that? he kept
3: using that name all all the way through, but we, our, you know, the version one was like about seven years, nine.
0: 90 to 97. All right. All right. Very good. So but while you're doing that, I mean, were there times even within that, even when things were going good, was Prince the kind of mercurial guy that you're like, oh man, that didn't go well. I'm probably finished. I don't know if I'm coming back tomorrow.
3: I think we all, knowing him, I think we all kind of lived like every day could be our last day. You you just didn't know. I mean, it was just, you know, and I I, I say that and I always said that at the the time in my head, but um, then when it happens, it's it's such a weird world to live in that I'd say it took me like two years to kind of recover from it Mm -hmm. just because you're, it's such an altered reality that you're living in that world of his because it was, it was 24-7. You
0: know? Yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, when you hear the stories about, nope, we're rehearsing till 4 in the morning or maybe rehearsal didn't start till 1 in the evening or whatever. And again, when you're on the outside, you hear all these crazy rumors. I'm like, I don't know, man. But then having met enough people that were on the inside over the years, I'm like, it really was sort of chaos. And you were you, 24-7, a lot of people like to throw that around. You really were on call 24-7.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he, he called me a few years back. I get now it's like, it was probably 14 years ago now. It's like 2008. Um, right. He called and asked if I would be interested in doing, a, you know, he was doing the residencies like he did at the O2 in London. He was doing that in Paris and mm-hmm. asked if I'd be interested in doing it. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, it was kind of like at this point, and now I have a family uh-huh, and right. it was kind of like, mm yeah, I'm I i I'm interested. Cause I was kind of bored. It was like looking for something in, um, it didn't work out. It didn't happen. Um, like everything, things happen for a reason or not. But, uh, you know, it's just, I had to think twice. It's like, I know what this means. I know you literally can't have a life outside. So it's like, right. I I got a family now. It's a little different. So, um, yeah, it's, it was great in my twenties, thirties, you know,
0: but there was a time that it's just, it's not tenable anymore to have that lifestyle.
3: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. know. I, I
0: get it, man. I get it. I, I mean, I kind it's of get it. I, I can't imagine. I mean, and you did it for a long time, and that's a lot of time to keep all the plates spinning every single time when you go to bed. Do I get a full night's sleep? Am I w- When am I waking up? How long are we going to do this? I can't even begin to imagine. Uh, before we continue uh, with Tommy Barbarella, we do have to mention Forgotten Star Brewing. Forgotten Star Brewing is the latest people to jump on board to sponsor this fine podcast, the Brian Oak Show podcast here in episode 195. They're located in fridley and they do good work they're good people again sean and i we both personally agreed years ago we're not working with jerks we're just we're not going to they happen to be great people they happen to be big music fans they happen to have an incredible facility out there in fridley and they happen to be dog friendly which i know matters to people i know people who drink craft beer and they love their dogs sean (laughs) it's true
1: you can't stay there for eight hours and have a dog that has to go to the bathroom at home. You just bring your dog to Forgotten Star Brewing.
0: Exactly. And they, I mean, they're dog-friendly inside and out. And sure, colder weather is on the way, but they still have a great outdoor area. they got fire pits out there. And they have a very cozy, comfortable World War II-era facility that they have revamped into one of the br- prettier brew houses here in the Twin Cities. So ForgottenStarBrewing.com if you'd like to find out more. And our thanks for their sponsorship. Tommy, you have picked a song here that you get to play on finally we get to hear some of your music right here is that right
3: um which one is it? oh yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah so sons
3: of almighty was a project um michael bland's brainchild so mm-hmm.
0: you know i mean you but you're kind of getting i mean the, the whole gang is back together the right whole gang I mean, you and got you got know, sonny thompson you got um julius collins who's been a guest mm-hmm. on this show before
3: you know sonny julius michael probably the three most um important people in my life, musically, um, we've done so much together, traveled, recorded so much, um, and I've learned so much from all of them. And uh, Also, Jeff Lee Johnson is a guitar player on this who is, he's not with us anymore, but mm. was an amazing guitar player. He was like the closest thing to Hendrix. Uh, a lot of people don't know about him, but he was a Philadelphia cat, um, played in some of the earlier root stuff. So uh, we did one record, um, and this is one of the, funkier funkier tracks um I had a friend in town he came to this session or where Sonny was doing the bass line of the session mm-hmm. and he's like that day changed my life I've never seen anyone play that and it was just like <laughs> it's just take after take and it was just each take was funkier than the last and so yeah this is a one of my favorites well let's get funkifying. fun
2: That frees one from the agony that longing can bring you. Oh Lord, there's forgiveness that's given to.
0: elizabeth played and you produced her album yeah,
1: yeah her EP. Oh, oh sorry
3: yeah her ep that just uh, just released um, i don't know this summer i
0: guess all right very good sorry we were talking about something off air as they say in the business i'll clean that up didn't mean to time. get away from sons of almighty too quickly but i mean you've got all the core elements there man julius when that guy starts to perform, there are certain people you know you watch, like your friend saying that when he watched the bass going down in that recording session. There are certain people you watch who are, it's more than just a raw talent. There is a thing there, there's a spark going on that you can't take your eyes off of, right? And I've seen a ton of talented musicians in my life, but there are people who bring things to bear that you can't quantify. No, yeah, and Julius, it's like he just sings.
3: So from the heart, it's mm-hmm. like he puts him whole, his whole self into it, and that's what you get. That's why you can't take your eyes off him, and I think that's why Greasy was so powerful. You know, it's just... I always say, I, I'm, I'm not a singer. I'm a terrible singer. But in my head, if I could sing, <laughs> uh-huh. it would sound just like him. Well, wouldn't we
0: all? Oh, he's I mean, usually, he's <laughs>
1: usually soaking wet by the end of every performance. I know that because I've made the mistake of hugging him after a show. I'm oh, like, yeah. did oh, you no. just run a marathon? But the guy literally puts his entire soul into the performance the other night
3: we did um donny hathaway version of for all we know Mm -hmm. there's a couple of songs that we do where i just know he's going to be crying at the end Mm -hmm. every single time it's like he put just puts his his whole self into it like that and that's well you and julius just did the rooftop at the hewing the other night right mm -hmm. and Uh, how was that it was awesome it was they got a cool space up there yeah i wish it was a little less cool, as in temperature. But <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it is October in Minnesota. That's true. But that was really a really fun gig, and um, the vibe was great. You know, had that L.A. poolside kind of a kind of a thing.
1: And you're at Ice House uh, tonight and tomorrow.
3: Yeah, I'm playing with Chastity Brown. Oh, she's uh, so good. She's great. Same Man. same thing with her. It's like I mean, these are the. I don't say yes to everybody, but there's certain um artists who like. Chastity's like Julius. It's like when she performs, it's just the visceral experience. Like She's she got that thing. puts her in uh it doesn't matter how simple the song is or whatever, but she, it just works it and it's, like, it's so fun. To I be first on, on saw her by,
1: her by accident. I had gone to see another friend's band. I had not even heard of her and we're getting our coats on and she starts singing and I just took my coat <laughs> right off again and stayed for the rest of her show. So freaking talented.
0: Yeah. When you talk about working with Julius and everybody else, Sons of Almighty, so when NPG comes to an end for you, you said you had to take a couple years off, kind of recollect and re-envision and figure out what was going to happen next. What did happen next? Well, I've never taken a couple years off. but Okay. um, Didn't you say you needed some time
3: off? To to recover mentally. Well, yeah, Yeah. that's what I mean. Oh, you continued to work throughout that time. So, I mean, Greasy Meal was really the the crossover. So, Greasy Mm -hmm. Meal had started... um, while I was still doing the Prince gig. So it was a Sunday night caboose thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We rehearsed every day except Sunday with Prince. So I was able to do that game
0: every day. Mm -hmm.
3: That's wild. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And uh, I went to, I went down to hear them, one of their first shows and there was nobody there, but they played all these fun seventies songs. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love these songs. I would love to be in this band. And then um, Matt Rohde, the keyboard player, left to go play with uh, isaac hayes i think touring with isaac <laughs> wow, Hayes. all right they're like do you want to do it i'm like yeah hell yeah and um and i'll never forget the first time i went there fields john fields is wearing a green dress like green lame <laughs> i'm like <Nice>. oh, <laughs> <lovely>. yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah i love this fan he never dressed like that again right and it was like i thought oh because I used to dress crazy. Right. skirts well, you're, and everything you're a, you're a
0: rock star. Of course you right. did.
3: So when I saw him, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to be in this band.
0: He never dressed like that again. <laughs> <laughs> like, what if you'd gone down there and he was not dressed in a green dress like a regular guy still it, in? Yeah, it was so fun.
3: Um, and I knew most of those guys. We've we'd worked together before. But, uh, yeah, Greasy turned into, like, some of the funnest years of my life. Um, you know, every Sunday night at Caboose, we sold mm-hmm. out. We sold out the Caboose every Sunday night for three years. Mm-hmm. So all fun. All the records. It's a thousand people.
0: Yeah. I, and, you know, it's and not- jammed into the right kind of place. Like when you get that critical mass, whether you're a fan or, and again, I can't speak from the musician standpoint because I've never been one, but when you get into that size space, even if it's crowded and it's hard to get to drink hard to get to the bathroom, when the band is right and everything's happening and the whole place is heaving in unison, there's nothing else like that experience. Nothing like it. it, it you know,
3: and unfortunately you know, in a a groundswell roots movement like that, that just kind of happened. That'll never happen again. Right. You know, that was, this was pre Netflix, pre internet, pre cell phone, early cell phone, you know, everything's changed so much, but you know, I, I, I tell people about that. It's like, yeah, it's hard to even imagine that. You know, thousand people every single week
0: no and you call your friends on the landline be like heading down to see the grease tonight like absolutely mm. and i mean it would it was a thing it was an event and a happening absolutely yeah, it was really fun
3: yeah so i I started doing that i started working for ash and spencer doing jingles like that became like the day job
0: what's the most famous jingle that everybody knows who's listening right now
3: um probably cat herders that was the super bowl spot oh yeah yeah, yeah one of the that. first things i did right was, again i was like i, I i've kind of had a charmed Early part of my life where mm-hmm. I would fall into these gigs like, oh, Prince, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to write some commercial music? Sure. Within the first year, like all the cars, all the beers, Super Bowl spots. It's like, yeah. And, Why not? Um, yeah. So, and then um, then at one point, uh, 2000-ish, early 2001, I started going over to Italy. I worked with this big Italian pop star over there on and off for several years. Mm-hmm again did you enjoy it yeah sonny and michael were on that too Mm -hmm. um but yeah you know wrote songs with her produced records um it was great um so yeah Those were the years after Prince. Well, the
0: Halcyon years, right? And so now you have a family, right? And you still perform all the time. As Sean mentioned, a couple of shows tonight and tomorrow night over at Ice House Outdoors, where it's going to be brisk (laughs) once again with Chastity Brown. But you're still playing all the time. What does your... And I know it changes every week, right? Obviously, when you're a musician, you got to adapt and you never know what it's going to look like. But what is your day-to-day like? I mean, like there's family time, there's music time. What do you do creatively? Do you do anything outside of music? Do you get a chance to explore any other interests outside of that?
3: Uh, it's, it's a lot of driving my kids
0: around. Yeah. Um, oh, hours. I'm familiar. Yeah. But uh, karate lessons, boomerang <laughs> camp. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Um, I'm a big
3: cyclist. That's kind of my my one hobby you know
0: i was gonna say because we're not that far away in age and you look ridiculously more fit than i do so thanks for (laughs) that street or trails is
1: what i want to know street or trails um i used to i used to enjoy
3: mountain biking but then once the kids came road biking became a better time value because as soon as you leave your house you're doing it you're not like driving to a cool place yeah cuz that wasn't in the uh allotted time. Mhm. You got 40 minutes. <laughs> right. Got, hurry I'm up. going around the lake as fast as I can. <laughs> <laughs> do you still enjoy playing? I do. I do. Um Yeah. It's changed a lot.
0: Everything's changed obviously, but uh well, that's the nature of being alive, right? Everything's always mm-hmm. going to involve. And that's why I guess I ask. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but you know, people, things change. I am good friends with a guy who has drummed for a major indie pop star for almost 40 years and he told me he just doesn't like to play anymore Mm -hmm. and so he doesn't mind that they're not doing it over the last few years with COVID and everything he's like I just don't have the spark and people's lives change right your motivation changes yeah having a family changes things and so I just wonder like is it important to you do you ever still just sit down for the pure joy of it and play music do you like to write music do you enjoy performing with gigs or is it a necessary evil
3: It's all that. You know, for me, it's like um, I've prided prided myself in being, I'm having serious deja vu right this
0: second. Are you really? Oh, my God. I love deja vu, but you've never been in this room before. Or have I? Oh, now see, but here's the thing. Deja vu, in my opinion, (laughs) is not, I've actually done this real thing before. It's some sort of twirl in your mind where suddenly it feels like an old memory, but like an eddy in the stream right over in the corner over there. You just had a deja vu in here. Big time. Might be the first one was it the question was it one of the fine pieces of artwork <laughs> on the background the, the behind us? the wall I don't know wow. everything anyway interesting
3: for me you know it's like I, I pride myself in being super well rounded doing a lot of different things and um you know the idea of like being in a funk cover band playing superstition is does nothing for me right oh, yeah. you know, it's like been there done that I mean even doing you know I toured some shows with the new power generation after Prince died doing and it's like you know, uh, nah. I, I it's not really what I want to do. I, I enjoy doing the Love to the Nine show with Julius, that little tribute where we do this piano and a microphone kind of mm-hmm. thing. That's mm-hmm. I feel good about that. But I like to keep changing. So, um, you know, in the last 10 years, I've been doing a lot more arranging for orchestra, right. uh, Minnesota orchestra. I, I work wow. with a trumpet player named Chuck Lazarus who plays with the Minnesota orchestra. And through him, I've had the opportunity to, write a lot of arrangements for for the orchestra I've done an entire show an entire program for the orchestra Didn't uh, you write
0: the song that launched US Bank Stadium?
3: Yep. Wow. Uh well I Prince wrote the song I I did the uh
0: the arrangement for the orchestra Just um, say yes. yes. Just say yes I did. <laughs> Just I say yes. I wrote Purple Rain. Exactly, yes. exactly. And well done. Good one. Uh, Except you were um, in the band back then.
3: And then now this uh this year the orchestra asked me to, to compose the uh this piece that they're they're playing before the uh, the Vikings run out at the stadium. It's really loud. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> before we bid our fond farewell, because we're already over the hour mark, um... Again, I I wanted to make sure we didn't only focus on the Prince era, but obviously that's hard for people not to. I mean, you're from Minnesota. People are freaky about Prince, right? It's not like a normal thing. Prince is up there with the all-time greatest American artist conversation, and I don't think I'm saying that because I'm from Minnesota, right? I mean, he literally changed the nature of things. Obviously, you owe a lot of what happened in your life professionally to those days, and there were probably days that were wonderful and probably days that were a nightmare Overall, do you look back on your days in the new power generation and in Prince's orbit with fondness or not as much as one might assume? It changed a lot after he
3: died, um, which I didn't realize it would, but that that was such a surreal time when he died. Um, You know, you for me especially, I really tried hard to move on with my life musically after mm-hmm. that. You know, I, I turned him down for coming back to his next band right after he let us go to make, to see Greasy Meal through. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see that happen. And I don't regret any of that, but, um, after he died, I don't know, it was a weird thing where it was just like, I'm okay talking. To, I, Cause I didn't do interviews talking mm-hmm. about him ever. It was like, and now everyone is, it's okay. But it feels, it feels better now for some reason. Like, um, and I think because I, I see it in a, in a different light where I was like, holy shit. It was even bigger than I realized because I think I always downplayed it in some ways, probably because I'm Minnesotan. Yeah. For one. For one. Yeah. 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 That, well,
0: I can relate to both those things.
3: But, uh, you know, it's like I remember the moment when I really lost it. And, and my wife didn't know me at that time, but um, I just lost it. And I was like, holy shit, he trusted me. And it's like mm. the, to think how heavily he trusted me with his, we didn't call it that then, but his brand, yeah. you know, I mean, in a time when, you know, there were superstars that were bigger than life, thats a little different than it is now. Um, the weight of it all was so heavy and I, I just felt the pressure at the time. And now I, I look at it more as what an honor, you know? Um, so yeah, I look at it very fondly. Um, and yeah i'm very proud and you know to, to have been chosen to be that guy during those years so
1: were you ever able to tell that nun to shove it <laughs>
4: <laughs> After all that time. Unbelievable.
0: Sorry. I had, I had to change I had to change the mood a little because That was beautiful. I know. It was, it was it freaking was great, beautiful and you but, came in the room and showed had, everybody we, your nuts. We had to come Unbelievable. We no, to we come full circle. No, no we didn't. No we didn't. No we were having a moment. It was a beautiful all right, moment. All right, I screwed it up. Unbelievable. <laughs> I need a mute button for you because no. All right, I'm going Unbelievable. I want to thank our sponsors very much. Palmer's Bar. Without them, we couldn't do it. Forgottenstarbrewing.com is where you want to go to find out about that particular brewery. Uh, Smartstartmn.com slash Brian Show. how you can find out how to get money off the ignition interlock system. Thanks to our Patreon members. Thank you to you, Sean Bernard. What's that number one more time?
1: 612-859-2594.
0: And thanks to everybody who supports us. We are going to, before years end, come up with our next Patreon event for, uh, for the two year anniversary which is coming up fast and to thank everybody on patreon who've been with us there from the very beginning and also the newcomers as well we'll have some cool opportunities for you we'll talk more about that coming up uh tommy i appreciate you taking the time today man oh thanks for having me very very nice of you to come in and we'll talk to you again more in the future other than tonight and tomorrow night at ice house because this will be coming out today on friday afternoon when's the next time you're going to play got anything on the uh, on the calendar probably Okay, very good. Anywhere that people would go to find out about that? Yeah, if I
3: had my website up or something. um, I'm getting better at posting um, any upcoming stuff on the... On where? Social media. Okay, on
0: social media in general. And people can find you at Tommy Barbarella? Yeah. The classical spelling? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, Okay. the, the Jane Fonda spell. Okay, very <laughs> exactly. good, but hey, that's just fine. All right, um, now we're going to leave, and you did pick a song by Prince to take us out, mm. but this is pre-Barbarella era, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so why not pick something that you played on so we could all hear just how funky you brought it? Because, um,
3: I don't know, it, Prince was such an influence for me even before I worked with him. It was like, I, you know, it was... I, I can't overstate how how I mean it was literally when I saw Purple Rain and it changed my life just like oh my god I want to be in that world and and then you were
0: I was that's wild man you
3: earned but, it man these records the two records after um, Purple Rain Around the World in a Day and the uh, the soundtrack for Under the Cherry Moon um, he started using Claire Fisher Sir a ranger to do the strings and stuff and, and I had that blew my mind, hearing those string arrangements. Um, th- th- it was kind of my favorite era of, of his music. And you know now I'm doing a lot more of that arranging for orchestra and stuff. And I've done a lot of string arrangements over the years, and that's kind of w- what got me started, this record. And this is a, a short instrumental from uh, that soundtrack that is just gorgeous.
0: Thanks, Tommy. Have a good winter, man.
4: Thanks.